Let's just pray. Jesus, uh, we love you, Lord. And uh, we want to just set aside a little while to, to, to learn about how to live well, how to live in your way, Lord Jesus. So would you help us, Lord, put aside all of our stuff, uh, the good and bad we've done, Lord. And we just want to listen to you. The Holy Spirit, would you come and would you teach us, Lord? Amen. Amen. So, uh, we've been going through a, a little series. I think this is the, this is the third week of it, uh, I think, so far. Uh, it's called Kings. And uh, this, this series, kind of, Chris wanted to do this series because obviously we, we've just had an election. Not that you'd notice. And, um, and uh, well, some of us had an election. Other places, they run out of paper. Don't you love England? Don't you love it? We had these massive, glorious TV debates. And then we ran out of paper. I love being English. It's so ridiculous. Anyway, so uh, we want to do this king series. And what we're doing is we're looking at various um, kings uh, from the Old Testament in the Bible. And we're trying to just draw out a, a couple of good things, maybe, a couple of bad things about, about their leadership. So that we can begin to learn um, what we should look for in leaders. So, you know, nationally. Also, what, what should we look for in leaders in our lives? What sort of bosses should we have? What sort of bosses should we be? Uh, as parents, what sort of parents should we be as we, as we, as we lead our children? So this is, kind of, this is, this is the, the big idea behind what we're doing. We've had a couple of kings already. It's gone pretty well. And uh, this uh, today, I'm looking at, um, to tell you the truth, one of the, my most favorite people um, in all of scripture, uh, King Solomon. Anyone heard of King Solomon? You put your hand up. Don't be embarrassed. Okay, a few of you. Okay, I'll, I'll fill you in a little bit. Um, you've probably, if you haven't heard of Solomon, you've probably definitely heard of King David. Okay, so um, King David was Solomon's uh, father. Um, David was a naughty boy, uh, and he went off and uh, he, he slept with this woman he shouldn't have because she was already married. But uh, and, and he solved that by neatly murdering her husband. You know, it's like one of those novels you get at an airport. Okay, um, so basically. Um, the product of that beautiful union was Solomon. Okay. And, and Solomon's known for a few things in the Bible, but I would say uh, the, 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 the thing he's most known for in the Bible is, is wisdom. Okay. The thing he's most known for is just being super wise. He, he wrote three books, or, or three books are attested to him uh, in our Bibles. Okay, so you've got Proverbs, you have Ecclesiastes, and you have uh, Song of Songs. And I like Song of Songs because it's the racy book. Anyone ever read Song of Songs? It's a good book. It's a good book. You know, uh, young Jewish boys, uh, as they were growing up and learning the Torah, they were forbid, uh, or it was forbidden that they should read it, because it was like, uh, not Bible porn, that's too wrong. Um, but it was, you know, it was just too much for the young Jewish mind to, to cope with. Okay, so I like that Solomon's that guy, that he's given us wisdom and life skills, but also he's being a little naughty. I like him. Um, but the main thing that he's known for is, is wisdom. Okay, all of the books that he wrote would be, if they were being classified in the Bible, what kind of literature they were, they would be called wisdom. The wisdom books. Okay. And Solomon is a guy who has just immense uh, wisdom. Um, but that's not all that was going on with him. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to read some accounts of him. Um, there'll be some large chunks of scripture. I don't apologize for that. I just hope you can kind of stick with it uh, amongst the words. But um, first thing we're going to look at um, is the, the wisdom uh, of Solomon. Okay, so we're going to uh, go to a book called One Kings. Okay, if you've got a Bible, if you've got your iPhone, whatever you want, uh, just turn to it. We're going to One Kings three, and uh, we're going to read um, about all the stuff that he was up to. Okay, so we're going to read fifteen verses here. So it's, it's you know settle down. 
Put your feet up. Enjoy it. Okay. Solomon made alliance with the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married one of his daughters. He brought her to live in the city of David until he could uh, finish building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around the city. At that time, the people of Israel sacrificed their offerings uh, at local places of worship for the temple honoring the name of the Lord had not yet been built. Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father, David, except that Solomon too offered sacrifices and burned incense at the local places of worship. Excuse me. The most important of these places uh, was the worship at Gibeon. So the king went there and sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings. And that night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. And God said, what do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. Solomon replied, you showed faithful love to your servant, my father, David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued your faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father, David. But I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you've asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice, uh, for governing people with justice, and have not asked for long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you have asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has ever had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow follow me and obey my decrees and my commandments as your father David did, I will give you a long life. So here's kind of an introduction to Solomon. And uh, he's obviously a a godly guy. He's looking to do everything he can do to, to know God. And he's in this position where he's become king. And uh, he's at this place and he's offering these sacrifices and we're told just there that uh, he really went the extra mile, Solomon. He really was a guy who just uh, really went to worship God. Not just in the normal ways that were kind of acceptable, but he really just excelled at it. Anyway, that night, God comes to him in a dream. And I just, I love, I just love that, that moment where God just says, it says, that night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and God said, what do you want? What do you want? And Solomon at this moment, he, he, he actually, this is, this is a big choice for him. What would you ask for? So today, you live your life, you, you know, in a minute, when we're finished, we worship, we have a donut, a cup of tea, you go home, do what you've got to do. You go to bed tonight, and God appears to you in a dream. And he says, what, what do you want? I've seen, I've seen your worship, worship and your donut eating. I've seen the way you drive to church. Oh, that's not a good example. What do you want? What, what would you ask for? Or, or actually, what do you ask for? When you're praying, when, when, when you're in the middle of a worship moment, when, uh, what, what are you asking for in your relationship with God? And I'm not assuming you're all in a relationship with God. I'm not assuming you're all would call yourself Christians today. But what do you want? 
What do you ask for? Solomon asked for wisdom. Solomon didn't ask for the death of his enemies, for great wealth. He asked for wisdom. And, 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 and God, in, in the dream, reacts to Solomon. And he's just so excited that Solomon asked for this thing. So he gives it to him. He gives Solomon such amazing wisdom. He says, I'm going to make you so wise that no king, for, the, for as long as you're alive, no king will touch you wisdom-wise. You're just going to be able to govern and judge really well and, and administer justice and be really wise and, 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 and cunning with what you do. Solomon asks for wisdom and he gets it. And we're just going to carry on reading just in the next section. It gives us an example of just one of the moments after this dream where God actually says, I'm going to give you wisdom. One of the moments, and you may have heard this story, it's quite a harsh story and, um, well, in some ways. Um, and forgive me if this sits with you wrong, but it's, it's a good so it's a good story. So we're going to carry on reading in 1 Kings 3. It says this. Sometime later, two prostitutes came to the king to have an argument settled. Please, my lord, one of them began. This woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a baby while she was with me in the house. And three days later, this woman also had a baby, and we were alone. There were only two of us in the house. But her baby died during the night when she rolled over onto it. Then she got up in the night and took my son from my bedside while I was sleeping. She laid her dead child in my arms and took mine to sleep beside her. And in the morning I tried to nurse my son, but he was dead. But when I looked more closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't my son at all. Then the other woman interrupted, it certainly was your son. And the living child is mine. No, the first woman said, the living child is mine and the dead one is yours. So they argued back and forth before the king. Then the king said, let's get the facts straight. Both of you claim the living child is yours. And each says the dead child belongs to the other. All right, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought to the king. Then he said, cut the living child in two. And give half to one woman and half to the other. Then the woman who was the real mother of the living child and who loved the child very much cried out, No, Lord, give her the child. Please don't kill him. And the other woman said, All right. He will be neither yours nor mine. Divide him between us. Then the king said, Do not kill the child. But give him to the woman who wants him to live. For she is his mother. When all Israel heard the king's decision, the people were in awe of the king. For they saw the wisdom of God had been given him for rendering justice. So here's this uh, moment. Really harsh story. Really nasty situation. And I, I don't know about you. You read the story and you think that's a great kind of solution. But what would you do? What would, I don't know what I'd do if I was a king. And this is what would happen in, in, in the days of the kings. They would judge cases. People would bring you know, in the community, it would, would bring problems like this, and the king would have to decide one way or the other, and his word was final. And in this moment, Solomon's faced with this awful decision. What do you do? How do you, how do you believe this? He doesn't know these two people from Adam, you know. But he does this nasty thing, get me a sword, cut it in half, knowing that the real mother will go, no, don't you kill my child. Such wisdom. And Solomon, again and again and again, shows wisdom like this. If, you, if you've ever read, read the book of Proverbs, which Solomon wrote, a collection of um, 
some short, some longer sayings of wisdom, then you'll know that wisdom, that he has this, this, this way of just um, looking at life and summing up little situations to, to let you know this is how you should act, this is what's right, this is what's, what, what's the true way, this is the way that's stupid. Solomon just had this mad wisdom, really um, amazingly gifted. But I want to look actually a little bit before that. I could just tell you today that our leaders need to have wisdom, that as parents you need to have wisdom, as a, you know, small business owners you need to have wisdom. I could tell you that, but it's not really going to help you. I, I, I've got to tell you that. Um, because something came before the wisdom and it enabled Solomon to get the wisdom. And without what came before, if, if you begin to just learn stuff, you'll just know some stuff, but you won't have wisdom. See, what came before the wisdom for Solomon was humility. A word we don't hear that much. A word that's not banded around much of our political leaders, of our leaders of our nation. You wouldn't say, Alan Sugar, oh, he's humble. You know, you wouldn't say, oh, football coaches, they're humble. You know, you wouldn't do that. Film directors, oh, they're so humble. You wouldn't, you wouldn't do that. But Solomon had this in him from the get-go. And it was this attitude of being humble, of having humility, of, of, of having a certain opinion of himself that allowed him to gain wisdom. See, Solomon had the humility to admit he needed wisdom. And if you don't realise what you lack, you will not be able to receive what you need. If you don't know you need something, if you don't see that there's something missing in you, you will never get what you need. But Solomon knew that. You, you, right back at the beginning, he, when, he's, when, when he's in that uh, dream and God asks him, what do you want? He says, well, you know, I, I'm king and you've made me king and not, not my father. That's great, but I'm like a little child. I'm like a little child. I, I don't know these things. I'm supposed to govern these people, but I don't know what to do. There's a humility in him. Charles Spurgeon said humility is a proper estimate of oneself. Humility is a proper estimate of oneself. Humility isn't about being a doormat and, and being so, having such a bad opinion of yourself that you let everyone walk over you. Humility is about having a right measurement of yourself. Realising, yeah, you've got some skills and some giftings in certain areas, but actually, you, you need stuff. You need more than you have right now. Do you know that? about yourself do you know that do you know that you're lacking stuff do you know that you need help do you know that you're not good at everything you know sometimes you meet people and sometimes we are people aren't we uh, we just think we know everything and we cruise along in life just uh, really brash and really large and full of ourselves, thinking we just could have everything sorted. But it doesn't take much, does it, in life to hit us before we just... <laughs> crying on the floor like a baby. <laughs> and what Solomon had was, before he got to the crash moment, here, right at the beginning of his life, he, he had that humility, he had that, those moments and, and, and that, that view of himself where he said, I, I'm desperately in need, I can't cope with what's in front of me, what's on my plate. And that pushed him towards going toward God for wisdom. He says in Proverbs, um, let me just flick to it. There we go. He says in Proverbs 15, 33, Fear of the Lord teaches wisdom. Humility precedes honour. 
Fear of the Lord teaches wisdom. Humility precedes honour. That's Solomon's admission of his state, I guess. That he had learnt in his life that actually, if you want to be honoured, if you want to do well, there needs to be humility. If you want to be a great leader in anything, you want to be a great parent, a great friend. If you want to be a, a, a follower of Jesus who just worships him and, and gives everything to him, there's humilities needed. Humility, you need to get an estimate of yourself that realises that your shortcomings, that gives you a true account of, of your strengths and your weaknesses, and it's from there that you go forward. Not from some impression of you, you want other people to know that you're strong and you always have the answer and that you have more money than them and more wisdom and you're funnier and better looking and better dressed. Than That's got to fall alongside. So I have a question for you. Just uh, Do you see humility in the leaders around you? Just think about it for a second. It's rhetorical. You need to answer. <laughs> do you see humility in the leaders about you? So we've had this election, right? And uh, I was hoping this morning to be able to uh, talk about whoever would won and you know, give you my opinion or whatever. Uh, but I can't because no one's really... Well, it depends who you talk to, really, doesn't it? Uh, we're in the process. And at the moment, there seems to be actually some form of humility, actually, doesn't there? As you, look, you, li- you listen to Cameron, it seems like there's some humility there. I know Gordon Brown's gone home, we know. Um, but uh, normally, generally, in the normal play of things, and maybe in six or seven months or a year, will it be a key factor in our leaders, humility? I'm not saying it, it isn't at all. I'm not saying, you know, but if we're going to have great leaders in our life, if we're going to be great leaders, if we're going to run our families well, our business well, if we're going to be great friends and great uh, honourable stewards of what God's given us, we need to begin to see humility. I would ask you to think about me as uh, our staff team. Do you see humility in, in us? If you're a leader... In this church, if you run any form of group or, or you oversee any part of this, this thing we do every Sunday and during the week, is there humility in you, in the people in, in your team? Because this is important, this is key to being who God wants us to be. So, um, carrying on looking at Solomon, uh, as long as Solomon remains humble, Things seem to go quite well. He's very humble. He asks for wisdom. God actually begins to give him wisdom and he governs amazingly. And if you, if you read through 1 Kings, it will tell you all the things he did and the X amount of tons of gold that he received every year. And you slowly begin to see how the wisdom is paying off. But then Solomon begins to get a bit full of himself. The Bible doesn't actually say that. <laughs> it doesn't say at this point. He is a bit full of himself. But I'm telling you, if you look at it, you read between the lines. As he lives his life, as his fame begins to grow, and God says, as well as wisdom, Solomon, I'm giving you fame. I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to give you prominence. But as that begins to happen, um, he begins to get a bit full of himself. So he's got a couple of missions in his life, building-wise. He wants to build his own house. Fair enough. Nice to do it if you can, I guess. Uh, He wants to build the temple of the Lord. Now, the Temple of the Lord is probably the most important building on earth for the Jewish nation this time. So Solomon gets going on that. He gets that bad boy chopped out in seven years. His own house, 13 years. 
And if you read the account, his own house is just a little bit bigger than the temple. Just a little bit. Like, like they're, like they're neighbours and he's just like, well, I have an extension, Lord God. He begins to just, in really subtle ways, you begin to see actually, he begins to get full of himself. We're, we're told that um, people from all around the world begin to flock to Solomon to hear his wisdom. And there's one visit from the Queen of Sheba who's come because she'd heard of his great wisdom. And, and, and we're told that he sits down and he explains every question that the Queen of Sheba asks Solomon, he explains. In fact, there was nothing he couldn't explain. Now, drink that in, gentlemen. What if she'd asked about the offside rule? It means that Solomon is the only man in history to have explained the offside rule to a lady. He is anointed and powerful. And you get this feeling that Solomon begins to get a bit puffed up. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, which is um, Solomon's account of his account of all things. And you begin to see the way Solomon talks about himself. And Solomon ended up with um, 700 wives and 300 concubines. So Solomon, at one point in his life, as well as running a country and building everything, was batting out a thousand women. He, he had a thousand women to, to, to deal with in his life. Everything about Solomon begins to get large and almost wasteful as he begins to drink in this power that this wisdom has brought him, that essentially God has given him. And this goes on for a while. But actually then uh, we begin to see some problems. Solomon in Proverbs 29 says this, Pride ends in humiliation, while humility brings honour. Pride ends in humiliation. Why humility brings honour. Real godly leadership has at its core humility. If you want to live well and live God's way and lead God's way in whatever he calls you to do, there needs to be at your root, at your core, a hunger to become humble and to remain humble. There needs to be a desire for there to be a proper measurement of yourself in your own eyes at all times. And Solomon began to lose that. He began to just kind of believe the, the stories about himself, if you like. And as you, as you read the sort of decline of Solomon, he, he begins to worship other gods because of all the wealth and, and all the, the, the women um, that he took on. He begins to worship their gods. And he begins to do lots of things that God had told him not to do. And it's almost like Solomon is like, well, I know I can do that. I know I can have 700 wives and 300 concubines. And I know I'll be all right because I am Solomon. But he doesn't. He begins to give his heart away. And actually, the, the humility that was originally in Solomon begins to become a, a distant memory. He begins to, to fade. And you can, you can pick up the story of Solomon and, and um, nothing amazingly bad happens to him. But slowly, it just... He just, his, his kingdom just degrades really and we're just told he just died and he was buried someone else came and ruled and he's known for this great wisdom but actually when you read it when you look at what he's really saying there is a, there is a kind of there's a fracture in the great wisdom he seemed to, to come out of his mouth and actually the result of his life and you and I need to be very careful when we're looking at leaders 
Not just to listen to what they say, but to look at the result of their life. What is actually happening? What actually comes out of them? Jesus would say like this. Jesus would say, well, you, you know what kind of uh, tree it is by the fruit. If it's an apple tree, there'll be apples on it. So we need to look at our leaders. We need to look at ourselves and say, are we what we say we are? Because we can all talk a really good game. And Christians are amazing at this. Christians are so good. They come in. They've got a leg missing. House is blown up. How are you doing? Oh, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, I'm all right. I'm okay. You know, mustn't grumble. You've got no leg. We're good at just hiding stuff, right? We, we bury it down because we're Christians. And we should be, you know, we should be doing okay. Now Jesus has saved us. And the humble thing is to actually say, well, I'm not doing good. The humble thing is to go, well, actually, I'm not, you know, I'm not, haven't done well. And if you approach God in humility, like Solomon did at the beginning of his life, and ask for what you need, then you'll be a great leader. I want to give you three tips. Um... Three tips on uh, leadership or, or living well, sort of based on Solomon, but we're going to look at a few things Jesus said because uh, he's just amazing. So, um, first point, uh, we need to be humble, okay? This is, this is not news to you, I guess, after listening to me for a little while up here. We need to be humble. Jesus said this in, um, oh, that's Luke, in Matthew 11. Uh, verses 28 to 30. Mm-hmm. At least I think he did. Oh no, he didn't. Anyway, okay. Anyway, it says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give to you is light. I love these words. I love all the words of Jesus, but I love these words of Jesus where he just says, Come to me, all of you who are just worn out, you're just burdened, you're just broken down. And there's a sense here that, you, you, you cannot come to Jesus and get what you need until you acknowledge you don't have what you need, right? You, you can't come and allow God to teach you to be wise and to live well until you admit that you are not wise, that you haven't lived well, that you've fluffed it up, that you're not what you're supposed to be, even in your own eyes, before you even look at God's estimate of what you should be. You cannot teach anyone unless they're humble. You cannot teach anyone. This morning, as I talk to you, unless there's some humility in you, so there's something in you would go, well, actually, I need to learn this, it will bounce right off of you. If I'm not humble, and if the, the preaching team and the worship team aren't humble as we prepare and do our things, you know, it's not, it's not, this thing isn't going to work. Because we're not going to really understand what it is we need to tell you unless we're humble. And Jesus is saying this, you need to, if you want to come to him, if you're burdened, if you're, you need to give that stuff to him. Because he's humble, that's what I love. Jesus is humble, right? Jesus came as a servant. Jesus, we're told, he didn't come demanding his rights, clinging to his rights as the son of God. He came and he just, he just put it aside. He came as a servant. Are our leaders servants? Are you servants? So we need to be humble. Second thing, we need uh, to get wisdom. We need wisdom. Okay? 
Jesus said here, the greatest among you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. I love this uh, again. Jesus just saying, look, the greatest among you, if you want to be a leader, if you want to be amazing, you need to humble yourself. You need to become the least. You don't need to be the biggest show in town. In some ways, you need to be the small person. You need to take maybe a lower place than you think you should have. And then he says an amazing thing. He says, but if you exalt yourself, you're going to get humbled. Now, that's not a good thing, okay? If God humbles you, it's painful, okay? That means you're maybe up on show, you're maybe in a particular situation, and God will show you up for what you haven't got, right? You ever been there? (laughs) Those horrible moments when you feel that everyone sees you for who you really are? You do something or you don't do something. And all of a sudden, like everyone in the office or, or your wife or your husband or your kids, they just see you for what you are. And, and the mask has dropped and the, and the real backstage area of you is open. And it's horrible, right? And God says to us, if we don't, humble, if we don't seek to be humble, if we don't look to humble ourselves, then a moment will come along at some point where we'll get humbled. But then he says an amazing thing. He says, but for those who humble themselves will be exalted. If you and I will realize what we haven't got, what we need. I don't know what you need today. I don't know what it is you're lacking. A lot of us might say, you know, look at the political parties and we can say, I know what they're lacking. (laughs) You know. But none of us will receive anything. Until we begin to humble ourselves and realise that we're desperately in need. But if we do that, and as followers of Jesus this morning, if we do that, if we humble ourselves, God says that he will exalt us. In another part of scripture it says, in his good time, in his due time, he will exalt us. So isn't that if you, if you decide to humble yourself today, you'll have everything tomorrow. That's not it. Because God is trying to teach us something long term. So we need to gain wisdom, okay? And the way you gain wisdom is you do humble yourselves and then you, you, you learn. You have to learn the lessons of life. And that takes time. Nowadays, we just want everything. We want to be able to Google the answers, right? Last, no, I can't tell. Okay. Last night, we were sitting there and Zoe said, oh, I wonder, she was watching Michael McIntyre and Zoe said, I wonder, I wonder if his wife's good looking. And I went, uh, Google it. So we Google her. She went, she's not bad. <laughs> we live in an age where we think we can get everything straight away, the answer straight away, everything at our fingertips now. And we live that way, right? We live kind of impatiently and we demand everything. But when it comes to living really as you're supposed to be, when it comes to being the kind of a leader, the kind of parent, friend that God wants you to be, it's not about knowing all the answers. It's not. Being a Christian is not about knowing everything. It's about having a good estimate of yourself, knowing you fall short, and then asking the one who knows everything, asking the one who has all the answers, asking the one who has all the wisdom to help. Help me, Jesus. Help me understand my family. Help me understand my work. Help me get my grip on my money. Thirdly, um, we need to serve others as a way of getting both. Let me explain this. Um, it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to work out how to humble yourself. 
And some of us can go the wrong way and be too hard on ourselves. But let me tell you a simple way you can humble yourselves. Start caring for some other people as much as you care for yourself. Simple. Here at church, that can mean getting on a team. For instance, the the team that Jesus would recommend to you, the refreshment team. (laughs) The whole sermon has been leaning up to this moment. (laughs) The refreshment team, or, or the coffee bean, or the stewards, or the parking, or any of the ministries we've got. You might look at them and think, well, you know, I'm a bit beyond showing someone to their parking space. Oh, really? I'm a bit beyond, you know, giving a kid a donut. Really? Okay. Maybe you need to start serving other people so that you begin to humble yourself. That's why Jesus came as a servant. He came as a humble servant. That's why he washed his disciples' feet and he said, now you go and you continue to do this. Humble yourself. Take a, take a social station lower than you think you should be. And as you begin to serve people, you get wisdom. Okay? It's hard to get wisdom when you think you're number one. It's hard to get wisdom when you just see your own life and you're, you're cocooned. But as you begin to humble yourselves and serve people, you begin to get wisdom because you see other people's struggles. You hear other people's wisdom on how they've lived. So I would encourage you, yeah, just be humble. Gain wisdom. But how you do that, on a practical note today, is get involved in serving someone. And you can do it here in this church, but if you don't do it here, I'm not bothered. As long as it goes on somewhere in your life, Begin to help someone who needs something. Begin to give people what you've got. And all the time be saying to God, Jesus, I just need you. I lack stuff. Help me. Jesus is a humble servant. Let me give you... uh, I went to um, Tanzania um, about a month ago now. Took a team of guys out from Bern, their evening service, and it was great. And uh, we were worshipping near the end of the the mission. I think it was the last night or the penultimate night, whatever, and um, just a guy leading worship and the, the couple we were with encouraged us to kind of uh, just try and focus on Jesus and, and just begin to just, just wait for God to come and do something. And, and I did this and I began to see a, a field, a really spacious, really lush British field, because you know Jesus is English. <laughs> and uh, as, I'm, as I'm watching this field, I begin to see Jesus walking from far away towards me and I begin to get excited and, and dance like a little girl that's the embarrassing part right done um, but then the, the, the picture kind of came and I, kind of, I was just in worship and everyone was kind of in worship so I don't know how long this went on for but there was this moment where eventually Jesus and I are sitting together and uh, he begins to just serve me tea and sandwiches and uh I was just, I was offended. I was offended. Because I thought, no, I'll, I'll get, I'll, I'll be mum. I'll pour the tea, Jesus. I, I, I'm going to serve you, Jesus. But Jesus just continued to make me sit there and just served me. And it broke my heart that God would serve me. It ruined me that Jesus, that that God Almighty would wait on me. He's so humble. He's so powerful, yet he's so humble. And if we're going to be good leaders, if we're going to be like Jesus in this world, 
We need to chase humility. We need to chase it down hard. You need to get serving one another. You need to think of yourself a little bit less than you are and think of others a little bit more than you think they're worth because it's the way of Jesus. Can I have the band back up? And would you guys mind standing up? Let's just pray and then we'll worship. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for your example. That you knew all things, Lord. That you were... Solomon might have been the wisest man for a while, but you gave him that wisdom. But Jesus, you came as a servant. In fact, Lord Jesus, as we look at your cross... As we look at your death, Lord, we realize that that was you serving us. That Jesus, that was you taking a lower place than you deserved. That was you, Lord God, tending to us on the cross.